live from the NBC News radio broadcasting studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, sunny California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone today. I'm Rob Starr, along with our guest host, uh, Miss. She's going to love this because she hasn't been on for a couple of weeks, Miss Inge Biskoner from our micro-irrigation group. So, uh, how are you doing, Inge? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I miss talking to you on air. I know I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm glad you're back on and uh, uh, doing the show. We got great guests. You have a great guest. I have a great guest. And uh, I'm going to let you take it away and uh, get us going. Yeah, thank you, Rob. We do have a great guest this evening. His name is Jim Lorium. He's with the Maisie Corporation, and he is otherwise known as a water evangelist. Ooh. And Rob, you, you know, say yes. We <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't. There isn't anything we'd rather talk about than water. So this is kind of like the perfect guy, right, to have on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Are you there? Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Andy. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I, and you're right. I do. I do see things, uh, everything I look at, I see water involved with, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, as, we, as we get into the show. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a common affliction in our industry. I, I guess it's something we were born with, and we just have to live with it. And actually, I love it, and I know you do too. So uh, I, I do. Uh, we'll get at it. Well, if, just for our listening audience, let me tell them a little bit about you, Jim, and then we'll dive into some water stuff. So, oh, was, uh, that, was that a pun? <laughs> yeah, right. okay. Well, you know, I've got diving water morning because I'm I'm doing a work gig for uh, Toro Australia in June, and mm. I'm going to spend a couple of days up in Cairns uh, beforehand and do my scuba diving. Wow! And I've had to recertify my scuba diving certification, which is you know it's been decades. Um, <laughs> so I have diving I have diving on my mind. That must have been the uh, a fortuitous slip there. Wow. So anyway, Jim. Um, uh, for those who don't know you, uh, he is the vice president of sales and marketing for the Maisie Injector Company. It's a fluid design company that manufactures mixing and contracting uh, contacting systems. And actually, uh, Toro um, proudly sells the Maisie products in our systems. He holds a Bachelor of Chemical Engineering degree from Manhattan College, has over 20 years of global water treatment experience in agriculture, municipal, industrial, and commercial markets. But as a writer, Jim has published feature and cover articles for most of the leading water industry publications in the U.S. That's quite impressive, Jim. And many top international magazines as well. His blog posts about global water management practices have received responses from all levels of industry and government. Yeah, we'll hear more about that later. And Rob, I don't know if you've read this, but um, this is what's great, too. Jim lives in San Francisco with his wife, Lori Laria. <laughs> Who builds his life with love, laughter, and alliteration? Uh, I just love that, Jim. But, but, but is he, are you are you are you an East Coast guy? I am. I speak the Queen's English, Rob. So uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear you'll hear that. My friends in Queens say whenever they read what I write, they say, "Oh, you're like a water reporter." Yeah, yeah, and, I, and, and my wife jokes when I used to talk to my parents. Go, hey, you're talking to your daughter. <laughs> I'm a Jer- I'm a Jersey boy, but go ahead. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> Well, Jim, with your background and specialty in water treatment, sales and marketing leadership, and new business development, tell us a little bit about how you got into this water business. And if we have time at the very end, I'd love to know how you met a Lori uh, that <laughs> fit in with your name, Laria, so well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as you said, Andy, I, I graduated with a degree in chemical engineering 
and started in the process industries. I started in the sugar industry. I had the enviable position when I first got into sales of visiting all the breweries throughout the world to make sure they were filtering their beer properly. And and then uh, over time, and I'd say like uh, within the last 15 years, I really started moving more into uh, the water industry, uh, dedicating myself to water treatment. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to travel around the world. Uh, I lived in Hong Kong for several years. Uh, I worked for Amiot, an Israeli company. And as I traveled around the world, one of the things I really enjoyed doing was to benchmark the best water management practices that I found. And I started writing about it, first on Huffington Post and now more recently on LinkedIn uh, as part of their uh, Pulse uh, blog posts. And uh, it's kind of taken off. And uh, everywhere I go, I try and see, you know, what someone is doing to uh, further the uh, ability to recycle water, to, you know, just kind of follow the process flow and understand where it starts, where it goes and how we can better conserve and, and, and make that stretch every drop further. Yeah, well, that's perfect for the water zone because, you know, Rob and our other co-hosts, Mike Barron and uh, Paul McFadden in the past, we, we're always talking about the a water ethic. We need more of a water ethic. So um, um, kudos to you for writing in that vein. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recently I read the open letter that you wrote to President Trump that, um, you know, advocated for improving our water systems, that would help increase jobs, uh, reversing decades of decline and ensuring a commitment to safe drinking water for the future of all Americans. And then at a recent Water 2.0 conference here in San Diego, you made the following statement, which I found very interesting, and I wondered if maybe you could comment on it. You say that support for water infrastructure starts and ends with funding. So it always comes back to money, right? (laughs) Water is a money issue. Water is a political issue. And funding for water projects is the will of the people. And, you know, you've also written an open letter to Michelle Obama. So what what is going on uh, with um, that effort at this point, and especially from the Western agricultural perspective? Well, I think that uh, what I try and do, Iggy, is I try and get the public involved. And I try and write in an entertaining way so that they understand from a, you know, a pretty, a pretty ground level perspective what's important about water. And you know, it does come down to money. But if you think about it, water is connected to everyone's health. It's connected to everyone's food. It's connected to the energy we use, whether you're talking about uh, fracking natural gas out of the uh, earth's uh, surface or using it to produce petroleum. Um, it's, it's our recreation. It's involved with everything. So what I try and do is I try and write about it. And I did that with the open letter to, to Donald Trump. And I did it, uh, uh, as the open letter to, uh, uh, to Michelle Obama. My next open letter should be published pretty soon. It's an open letter to Jeff Bezos, because from, you know, if you think about from a perspective of Amazon, uh, with all the embedded water and all the products that is sold, are sold on Amazon, uh, Amazon whole, owns Whole Foods. They're looking at uh, healthcare. Uh, so he's, as, he's he's the richest man in the world now, uh, according to Forbes. And uh, if you look at it, he's probably got the biggest uh, water footprint. So uh, I try and get the the people involved, uh, the general public, to understand water issues, so that they can go in a little bit more educated 
when uh, they're going to either vote with their their dollars or going to vote with their vote. Wow, that's uh, that's fantastic. You're going to contact Bezos. You know, it just occurred to me that maybe Walmart should be on your short list too, because basically they're the biggest, the world's biggest grocery store too, right? Exactly, exactly. So that, that that's that's been like my uh, uh, open letter series. So I started with uh, Donald Trump when he was the president elect, uh, and then I went with Michelle Obama because uh, a lot of the issues she championed when she was first lady. Uh, uh, were, were involved with water, uh, food, you know, healthy food, of course, uh, veterans issues. Um, there, there's quite a, quite a bit of, uh, of, of her um, uh, trying to help other people uh, associated with water if you really delve into it. Did they answer you? May- Sorry. That's what I wanted to ask you, Rob. That was my exact question. Did you get a response? Neither one answered me, but I did get a lot of back and forth from people on LinkedIn through comments and engagement. And that's what I really wanted to do. I mean, it wasn't really an issue. It would have been great if they answered me, but it was more about engagement with other people, with the general public. And I got to say, it was pretty successful. The Donald Trump uh, letter... Uh, put me at the top of Water Online's uh, guest column list last year, uh, and uh, it got quite a bit of a response on LinkedIn. So from an engagement and also from my strategy of getting to be a thought leader, uh, it really helped. So um, I'd say it was a very successful campaign so far. Very good. Well, now let's dive into the book that you wrote a chapter in called Damned If You Don't which is a collection of essays about how to execute change in the water industry. So you wrote a chapter, Industrial Watershed Management, a 21st Century View of Water Stewardship. Tell us about that, and as always, me being the Aggie, um, how this would apply to ag watersheds as well. Yeah, and I I prepared especially for that, Angie. So uh, the idea about an industrial watershed is if you look at any any kind of, uh, of industrial process, whether you're talking about a brewery or a beverage plant or a pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing facility or a farm, um, there's water coming in, there's water going out, there's water being used for the process. So if you look at a farm, whether you're looking at uh, rainfall or if you're looking at irrigation water, you're bringing that water in, um, you're using it to grow crops, and some of that water runs off, runs into surface uh, water, some of it evaporates, some of it goes into the groundwater, and really you need to look at that as kind of a material balance. You know, again, the engineer in me always looks at material balances. And what is that water? How, how is that water coming in? How is it going out? Is it contaminated? Is it bringing nitrates into the groundwater? Is it uh, 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 causing other issues? Is it bringing phosphorus into lakes and rivers? Uh, and then you get eutrophication of those lakes and rivers. So, um, and, and irrigation is an important part of, of any obviously growing um, process because the waters, the water, I always look at irrigation as the intersection between the water and the soil. And not only are you bringing water into the soil, but with that irrigation water, you're bringing fertilizers, you're bringing nutrients, um, you, you can bring in air for, uh, you know, aerobic activity. There's a lot of ways that uh, it interacts. So th- it's an important process, and I like to look at that as a, 
you know, a whole, take a holistic approach around uh, bringing water in and water out and where it goes. Yeah, kind of making it more closed loop or, or you know, there's this new buzzword, the circular economy, and this would really be kind of a circular industrial process, if you will. Right. And, and of course, if you think about it, you know, especially in the West, you brought up the, the West Coast, uh, we, we've been having, I mean, we had some rain the last couple of years, but uh, overall, we've been in a drought period for quite a while. And really, it's again, it's about how do you utilize those water resources to the best, uh, uh, you know, usage. And we're competing against industries that need water. We're competing against the, the general population that needs water. And uh, so agriculture is a big player in the water market. Uh, you know, if you read anything, 60, 70% of, of human use of water is for uh, growing crops. And uh, so it's always critical that we make sure that we manage it as well as we can. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you said human use um, because those statistics, there's all sorts of different statistics on how much water is used. And, yeah, I think you're right that 50, 60% is used by uh, humans. Um, and we can't forget that humans need the environment in order to successfully live on the planet. So water going to the environment is not wasted in any way. And Right, exactly. And, and that's, another, that's another competing factor. I mean, the environment sure. is something that, that needs to make sure. And, and, of course, we need to send that water back to the environment in the best possible way that the environment can use it. And that's part yeah. of, you know, wastewater treatment and so on. Yes, and, and, of course, farms are often accused of using all the water, but, you know, actually they're growing food for people. <laughs> so, of course. Um, of course. Uh, it, it, it all circles back to we all, all need to share it appropriately for uh, moving the ball forward and everybody being healthy and having a, the highest quality of life possible. Exactly. Well, I'll have to read the rest of the essays in that because that sounds like a great one. I have not read that, but I have read your next, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, just uh, lessons from Leonardo. This is fascinating. What Leonardo da Vinci can teach us about water, and you call him the Nostradamus of the water industry, a man who saw into the future. Right, so, right. Um, those who know who Nostradamus is will be intrigued, as I am, to know how, how does this 500-year-old superstar help us with modern-day water and irrigation challenges? So tell us a little more about that and when you're going to be, you know, ready to take that uh, story public. Well, yeah, know. well, it's pretty, it's, I'm pretty far along with it, Iggy. You know, it's, uh, I've got uh, some people that have already asked me to give the presentation, and we'll talk about that shortly. But basically... Uh, I read uh, Walter Isaacson's book recently, uh, say about at the end of the year. It just came out. Uh, da Vinci's been in the uh, news quite a bit because of that, also because they found uh, uh, the uh, uh, famous painting that they attributed to him uh, that sold for $500 million, a half a billion dollars. But I read the book, and being a water guy, again, I'm always looking at it, and it was amazing to see that... Uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci had a lifelong love affair with water. If you look at his paintings from the early painting of the Arno River Valley, very peaceful uh, river in the background of his uh, painting, his, his first painting, um, right till the end when he passed away, when he died, just before he died, he was uh, drawing the deluge drawings, which showed water in its very turbulent nature. And all through his life, he 
He uh, did uh, looked at inventions. He came up with the concept of uh, scuba uh, uh, diving equipment. You, you right. Scuba diving. Uh, right. I have some notebook drawings that show he came up with that concept. Submarines, and uh, and and so when I read Walter Isaacson's book, I went through it. Some other things I read about Da Vinci, and I extracted all the things that I felt he could. He he really said about water, his study of water, uh, his notebooks about water. And one of the things I like to share, and it kind of ties with uh, the industrial watershed complex, was that he looked at uh, all systems as in organic systems. He did a lot of uh, of um, uh, anatomy study, and he saw the uh, human body as a as a microcosm of the outside world, so the hydrological cycle. And also, if hmm. you think about it now from a, a, a water treatment, you know, municipal water treatment standpoint. You've got the heart, which is the center of pumping, and so you've got the big pumps that are being used. You've got the lungs, where you've got aeration technology, putting air and dissolved oxygen into water to improve the process. You've got uh, reverse osmosis systems that very much uh, look like kidneys, the way they filter water and, and impurities out of the water. Um, and then from the uh, uh, sensor side, he was very big into optics. You've got optical turbidity measurement. Uh, he, he talked about acoustics. You've got um, the uh, acoustic uh, leak detection systems now. So I kind of extracted that. I, I have six lessons around that, I, and we don't have time to go through all of those. But at some point, I'd like to present them because uh, I think it's fascinating to see from his notebooks to what we currently have in water uh, where he's come, 500 years, it's, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. He was, he was seeing it as a, a holistic system, you know, planet Earth, the body, uh, water, just as you were speaking of, uh, before in the industrial watershed. Well, exactly. maybe we can bring you back on when you're ready to go public with this presentation and just devote the show to that. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, fantastic. You know, they did say uh, on a show that I watch, I'm a little crazy, as everybody knows, but they said Notre Dame probably had connections with ancient aliens to get the uh -huh. information. I know that sounds far-fetched, but amazing somebody could think of all of that stuff yeah. back yeah. then. Yeah. Was it yeah. Notre Dame yeah. or uh, Da Vinci? Who, yeah. who was the one that was connected to aliens? I'm sorry? You said Nostradamus or, or Da Vinci was Both. connected to AI? Both. Oh, okay. That they got visions and things. That was on a, I guess I'll call it a science fiction uh, show on cable, but it was uh, pretty interesting on, on how they came up with that idea and, and uh, how, do, how do these people way back then know about things like this? I mean, Da Vinci was incredible, all the things that he invented. Same with Nostradamus, all the things that he saw. You know, yeah, it, my personal opinion, Rob, is that the way he connected to it was he studied nature. I mean, he, he tapped into nature. He was such an observant person. That's how he came up with the idea of a helicopter. He looked at the elm, you know, you ever see those the elm seeds floating down? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's what he tapped into. I, I, that's my personal opinion. That's interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to bring you back amazing. to do that. Definitely want to bring you back and uh, have you go through that for the whole show. I think that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Well, listen, with the couple of minutes we have left, tell us a little bit about um, Angelo Maisie, the founder of the Maisie Company, and uh, the article, Food and Water, One Man's Vision, that you wrote, and if there is time uh, about CAIA, but we may be out of time for that. So uh, take it to the end, Jim. 
Yeah, so Angelo, uh, he, he started the company in 1978. We just celebrated 40th year of, uh, of, of Maisie Injector Company. And he started uh, by putting in chemicals uh, into uh, irrigation lines. He thought of a better way using a Venturi injector, which was an offshoot of something from Leonardo da Vinci, which is interesting, uh, <laughs> Giovanni Venturi. Yeah, it was, it's, wow. it's pretty interesting. Giovanni Venturi was a, a disciple of Leonardo da Vinci, and oh, uh, and, he, and he discovered that, and he built a company around it, and it's homegrown technology. Uh, he uh, got his engineering degree from uh, Fresno State. He's a local Bakersfield person, uh, a farmer, um, and and uh, just uh, you know uh, a real innovative powerhouse of innovation, um, and continually to this day coming up with new products new products to enhance uh, irrigation um, practices. Uh, he's come up with proportional fertigation equipment that's just about to be released. Uh, we've come up with some ejection products that can put uh, air, dissolved oxygen into water to help uh, with the root zone, uh, better aerobic activity at the root zone. Um, so uh, he's a pretty impressive guy. And uh, so it's a pleasure to work for somebody that, has that vision and is always thinking about how we can make a product that's going to help uh, the farmers, how we can make water better. We've got, uh, we're putting ozone into pools and spas. We're putting ozone into drinking water. We're treating wastewater for uh, both uh, municipal wastewater and industrial wastewater, uh, a wide range. It's, a, it's, it's fun to be an engineer working there because uh, I get to touch all these different uh, uh, processes and uh, these different market sectors that, that ha have an interest in, in using uh, products that can make them more efficient. It, it is amazing what he invented. He, for the listening audience, I mean, he basically invented, invented a gadget that pumps liquids without having a pump. What, go figure. Mm -hmm. How did he do that? Exactly. Well, Jim, thank you for uh, joining us this evening. We'll bring you back on as soon as we can, and we'll talk a little bit about the California Ag Irrigation Association as well then. But I think we're out of time, Rob, or do we have another moment? No, we got We got to go. We got uh, time time for commercials and get the next guest on. Well, it's okay, been my pleasure. so if anybody wants to so know more about Jim, he's on LinkedIn, Jim Laria at LinkedIn. Thank you, Jim, for joining the show.